to spread the gospel to the people of the world and the places on this earth that are far from you and difficult to reach with the gospel. This church supports the missionaries. You pray for missionaries. Praise God for that. If we as a church are going to participate in missions, we need to understand missionaries. Lifelong gospel ministry in distant places, in difficult places, has unique challenges. Uh, When Faith and I ministered at a church in South Carolina, our church supported a good number of missionaries. We hosted many of them in our church, and Faith and I had the opportunity to visit a number of them on their fields and spend time with them where they are ministering in various parts of the world. And we learned a lot about how missionaries live, about their joys, about their heartaches, about their challenges, and about the blessings. And there's so many different settings where missionaries serve, all the different nationalities and cultures and types of ministries, and there's variety among missionaries themselves, their personalities, their strengths and weaknesses, the particular burdens that they have for gospel ministry. And it might seem like it's a daunting task to figure out what it is that missionaries need. How can we support them in truly helpful ways? Well, there are some needs, or we might even say some desires that they have in common. In fact, the very first Christian missionary, the Apostle Paul, stated clearly what it is that missionaries desire. And we find it here in Romans chapter 15. Paul started this letter, the letter to the Romans, telling the Roman Christians that he longed to see them. And then he expounded the gospel to them. And now as we near the end of this letter, he ends it with a similar personal touch. And he says, I'm, I'm planning to see you. I'm looking forward to being with you. I'm going to have a layover in Rome when I travel that direction on my way to Spain And these verses read like like a missionary letter. They read like a letter that that you might receive from a missionary today. They start out, he starts out with a report on the work he's been doing. And then he shares his immediate plans. And then he ends up with a list of prayer requests. And missionaries today have similar longings and hopes and plans and needs. So learning from the Apostle Paul what it is that missionaries need and want will help you to send and support missionaries to do gospel work. But I want to encourage you this way as well this morning as we look together at this text. God may call some of you to do missionary work. And what you're going to hear will help you understand the heart of a missionary. What makes him tick? What motivates a missionary? And then I would also say this, that in this group of people, some of you may end up in some other location, some other church family someday down the road. And I think this can help you develop your own heart for missions and missionaries and be an influence in your church's participation, whether that's here or somewhere else in the future in supporting missionaries. So I'm calling this What Missionaries Want. And let me read for us, starting in verse 14. And by the way, uh, I know Pastor Dan uh, covered some of these verses last week, so we're just going to kind of dovetail with that. There'll be a little bit of overlap at the beginning, but then we'll continue on past that. So look with me at Romans 15. Let me read, read starting in verse 14. 
Now I myself am confident, Paul says, concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient and mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I've fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I've made it my aim. Now you begin to hear his desire. What does he want? I've made it my aim, verse 20, to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, he says. We'll stop there for now. So, so what is it that missionaries want? Well, first of all, missionaries long to preach the gospel to people who have not heard it. They long to preach the gospel to people who have not heard it. Paul describes his role in verse 16 as the minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Christ had called Paul and commissioned him, and his message was the good news, the gospel, that Jesus, God's Son, died for our sins and rose again. That's the gospel that we proclaim today. It's exactly the same. And success for Paul, as he describes in verse 19, is I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And probably what he meant was that he had completed his task of spreading the gospel and planting churches in that region. He had completed what God assigned him to do in that area. And then he went on to identify his, his particular burden in verse 20. I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named. So that was what he wanted. That was his driving passion. So he, he wanted to preach the gospel because of the grace of God, as he describes himself in, in verse 15, because of the grace given to me by God. He had been shown grace, and he wanted to share the gospel of grace. That's the heart of a missionary. Any Christian, really, right? You have been shown grace by God. You've been a recipient of God's favor through Christ, and then you want to share that with others. He, his aim was to preach the gospel to present an acceptable offering to Christ, as he says in verse 16. So, so he viewed his missionary work as worship, not just a, a, a profession or a career or even just a calling or a task, but as worship. Taking the gospel to the nations is, is worship to God. And then he says in verses 17, 18, and 19, it's by the power of the Spirit of God. There's no other way. It cannot be done in human strength. It's beyond human ability. So he knew he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 20, he wanted to preach the gospel where Christ is not named. That is Paul's passion. People say sometimes you need to find your why. Find your why. Figure out why you want to do what it is that you want, you're setting out to do. Well, Paul knew what his why was, didn't he? What possesses a young man or a young woman to leave what is familiar and comfortable? 
and to, to immerse themselves in a strange culture far from family and home and live day to day with uncertainty, maybe even danger to their lives, to tell people about someone named Jesus. What would compel you or anybody to do that? Well, it is this passion to take the good news where it isn't, to go to people groups who do not know, have never been explained, it's never been explained to them who this Jesus is, and to get the word of God to people who've never had the word, the scriptures, in their own language. And to explain how a Savior died for their sins and rose again to ears that have never heard and to hearts that will believe. That is missionary passion. It's good for all of us to catch some of this passion, isn't it? Maybe there's somebody you cross paths with who has never heard, has never had it explained to them. Just be friendly to that person. Start a conversation with that person, show interest in their lives, and you'll be surprised over time what you end up talking about, whether it's a neighbor or a coworker or a family member. If you're a Christian, sooner or later, you're going to be talking about how God has been active in your life and eventually how he has provided for you and helped you and forgiven you through Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, you find yourself sharing the gospel. So all of us need to have that same passion. But, but it might be that, that even somebody here is having a stirring in your heart to take the gospel to people who have never heard it. And I encourage you, open your heart to that. Just keep an open heart to what God may direct you to do. And some of you might end up doing exactly what Paul did, reaching the unreached. Is God still calling and sending missionaries out to people in distant and difficult places? Yes, he is. He sure is. So, so if you feel that stirring, if you sense God's working in your life, if you have a desire in that direction, the answer to that, the right answer is, Lord, here I am. Send me. And then I would say this as well, that we support missions and missionaries because we share that burden. Yes, some go. Some of you may go. But also we support and help missionaries because of that burden that we share of having the gospel preached to people who have not heard it. And that leads us to, to a second desire that Paul expresses here. The first, the first one really is a report on what he has been doing. It shows us his passion for preaching the gospel to those who haven't heard. And now he looks forward, and the passion is the same, but the only thing that changes really is the geographical location. He wants to take the gospel still to unreached people. And look at how he describes this in verses 23 and 24. Verse 23, he says, But now, no longer having a place in these parts, and having a great desire, do you hear that again? There's his desire, what he wants. These many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there, referring to Spain, by you 
if first I may enjoy your company for a while. <laughs> so you wonder if these Romans were thinking, hey, Paul, what are we, chopped liver, right? So you keep telling us, yeah, I'm going to stop by and see you guys, but I'm on my way someplace else. That was his passion, wasn't it? But in doing so, he was letting them know, I'm coming. Yes, I care for you. Yes, I'm looking forward to being with you. But also, I am appealing to you to help me, to keep going to that distant and difficult region of Spain where I want to take the gospel to people who have not heard it. So as we, as we listen to, to Paul's words, as we hear his heart, we find that he's looking to these Roman Christians for help. So, so missionaries need help to get where they're going. What do they want? What do they need? They need help to get where they're going and to minister effectively there. Paul has a laser focus. His ultimate goal was Spain. He truly cared for the people in Rome, but they already had the gospel. And he was driven to carry it beyond them to the unreached people of Spain. He says, I'll come to you when I go to Spain. Was he just using them? I don't think so. He cared for them, but he's being very straightforward. He's saying, I'm going to see you guys, but I'm going to keep moving, and I'm just letting you know that I would love for you to partner with me in ministry. I would love for you to, to make it possible for me to continue traveling and reach that destination, fulfill that goal. So he's saying, I'm going to rely on you. He's very straightforward, without apology. I'm asking you to provide assistance to reach this goal of taking the gospel to Spain. I want to point something out to you that's very significant in verse 24. Look with me at verse 24 again. He says, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. I want to show you the biblical basis for churches supporting missionaries. Or a biblical basis, I should say it that way. A very significant one. And it's right there in that phrase. Helped on my way there by you. This is a, a very specific phrase that Paul uses here when he says this. The, the word helped on my way means to, to assist someone in making a journey. And especially with just normal material needs like food. And money. And a means of traveling. So this person's on a journey. And somebody says, hey, I want to help you get there. So what do you need? Here's, some, here's some, some food. Here's some money to help you. And anything else you need. Maybe even some kind of transportation to get you there. This word is used in Acts chapter 15 verse 3. By the way, I think you have some references on there on your notes. I wanted to provide that for you just so you can track with this. And we're not going to look at all of them. But refer to some of them. But we will look at a few of them. Um, Acts chapter 15, verse 3, where, where it says that the church of Antioch did exactly this. The church of Antioch helped Paul and Barnabas on their way. So here you have a couple of missionaries. The church of Antioch is supporting them, is literally helping them with material things to, to, to move them along their way. Titus chapter 3, verse 13, that's the church in Crete. And, and Paul appeals to them to help Zenos and Apollos. They were traveling through. They were on uh, gospel, gospel work, and he said, hey, as they come through, you guys help them on their way. Same word. Help them with their needs. Now I'll go over to 3 John, a little letter of 3 John, and uh, verses 5 and 6. So 3 John, 
1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then verses 5 and 6. And look at how John used this term. So 3rd John verse 5 says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey, same language John is using here. Send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So not, not being chintzy, not being cheap, right? Not being stingy. No, in a manner that's worthy of the God that they serve. You will do well. Why? Verse 7, because they went forth for his name's sake. That's missions right there. Going forth, going out for the name of Christ, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So he's saying, hey, if, you, if people come through and they're, on, they're doing ministry work, they're, on, they're traveling and spreading the gospel, you will do well if you help them on their way. This is what we call supporting a missionary. Missionaries need material, financial, and logistical support to get where they're going and to minister there. And churches provide this, which means the people in the churches provide this, right? Is how that works. Now, now back in Romans chapter 15, Paul is, uh, is talking about another kind of financial contribution starting in verse 25, and that is a financial contribution to help fellow Christians who are in need. So because of persecution or other, other reasons, they, they lack what they need, daily food and that kind of thing. And, and he's saying there, there's also an offering that's being transported to the believers in Jerusalem. So look at what he says in verse 25, back in, in Romans 15. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I've performed this, I've sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. So he says, I'm heading back to Jerusalem, and I'm taking this collection that's been gathered by the churches, and I'm taking it back to those believers in Jerusalem who are suffering to help them out. So here's another kind of contribution. And what that does is that brings into view the two targets of New Testament financial giving. Supporting gospel work and helping people in need, specifically Christians. Not just Christians, but especially Christians. Those are the two targets of, of financial giving that we see in the New Testament. That is giving to support gospel work, whether it's the local church, the work of that church and reaching that community for Christ, and extending out the, the gospel outreach of that church through mission, so supporting gospel work and helping other believers in need, whether that's within that congregation or others that you become aware of. And that's what you see in the New Testament over and over again, texts that demonstrate for us that pattern of financial giving. And Paul uses some interesting words here. I just want to touch on this in, in the verses I just read to you. In verse 25, he uses the word minister. That's a word that means to serve. In verse 26, he uses the word contribution. That's koinonia, which is fellowship. In verse 27, he uses the word minister again, but that's another word from the previous one that, that means to, to perform an act of worship. And then in verse 28, he calls it fruit. So financial giving is a way of ministering, of serving. Financial giving is a form of fellowship. Financial giving 
is a way of worshiping God. It's an act of worship. Financial giving produces fruit. There are results. There's a product. There's an outcome. There's an impact. And both of those are in view here. So Paul is saying, hey, you, I'm coming to see you guys, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you're going to help me on my way. And let me tell you about another example there are some churches who have made a contribution to help these other believers in need, and we see it all right here. And what I, want to, what I want to emphasize here is what I see as the really the overarching principle in New Testament giving, and that is the principle of generosity. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over, we put in your bosom. This is the image of somebody going to the marketplace, and they have their, their robe, their garment, and they don't have anything to carry home the grain with, but the, they go to the grain vendor, and they say, I need some grain, and they hold out, they, they pull up their skirt kind of and hold it up like that, their outer, outer robe, and, the, and the, the vendor starts pouring grain in, and they say, no, that, okay, that's good, that's enough. He says, shake it a little bit. There's more, room for more in there. Okay, some more goes in. He keeps piling it on until it's spilling out on the ground. Jesus said, if you give, then, then it will be given to you. With the same measure, he said, that you use, it will be measured back to you. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 9, I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully, we would say generously, will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God, verse 8, is able to make all grace abound. God is generous in grace to us, toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. Do you think he means all? I think he does. That you always having, so God can make all grace abound to you. Yes, spiritual grace, but also material blessings. So that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That is the principle of generosity in New Testament financial giving. I would summarize it this way. God is generous with us so that we can be generous to others. Specifically, supporting gospel work and helping others in need. This does not mean if you put money in the offering box, you'll get rich. It's not that, right? What it does mean is God will take care of you. If you are generous in giving to others, God will overload you with blessings. Some kind of blessing. And if there's anyone who is worthy of our generosity, it is those who are giving their lives to do gospel work. And we get the blessing of helping them on their way. Now, the, the most obvious way to help missionaries is through regular financial support. Again, I'm just sharing from experience that we've had where Faith and I served in a church that was very generous in caring for their missionaries. And they not only supported them with funds, but also helped them in material ways. And uh, I'm just sharing this as, as just, just to stir your thinking a little bit just to think forward, just to think to the future. Again, whatever you do as a church here, wherever God may take you in ministry, to think in terms of generosity and supporting gospel work. 
we had a missions conference, and so, so when the missionary families came to this conference, we would normally have three families or, or couples there um, for the missions conference. And, and we would ask these missionaries what they need and what they want. And then church members were invited to donate items or to give toward the purchase of items to give to these missionaries. And this included everything from car tires, a set of tires installed on their car, teaching materials for their ministry, laptop computers, homeschooling resources, books and toys for the kids, gas, gift cards, restaurant gift cards, and just a way of showering love on them and being generous with them. And it came out of the pockets of the people in that church who wanted to love those missionaries and care for them. And it was more than, about more than just the things, right? It's the heart of love and care and generosity and what can we do for you and how can we bless you and how can we send you on your way. Now, now notice Paul didn't just need material support. He didn't just want material support. He wanted time with them for mutual encouragement. Notice the language he uses in verse 24. When I enjoy your company for a while, and contained in the language here, in the underlying original language, is is to fully enjoy being with them. So I'm not going to just drop in and rush off. Not a quick hello and be on my way. I'm going to spend time with you. Verse 29, he says, when I come. Verse 32 We haven't read it yet, but verse 32 describes being refreshed together with you. Refreshed together means to have a restorative rest. It's like when you lie down or you have some free time and you just don't do anything and it just refreshes your mind and your body. And and here it's describing doing this together with somebody else. Sometimes you can do it by yourself, but sometimes you can actually have that kind of a refreshing, restorative rest with somebody else. And he says, I'm looking forward to having that with you. And that's another way to think about missionaries. They work so hard. They labor to exhaustion. And when we find them in our midst, yes, we want to hear from them. Yes, we want them to share their ministry and maybe even teach or preach. But it's also an opportunity to say, hey, sit down. Don't do anything for a while. Let us minister to you. Let us take you out to eat. Let us host you in our home. Let us put you in a nice place to stay where it's calm and quiet and you can, you can rest and give them that opportunity. What do missionaries want? They long to preach the gospel to those who have not heard. They need help getting where they're going and ministering effectively there. Let's find one more answer to this question, what missionaries want, starting in verse 30. I'll start in verse 29, so we haven't read that yet. Verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now, hear the longing. See what he wants. I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you would strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and be refreshed together with you. 
Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Missionaries, plead, plead for ministry partners who will intercede for them in prayer. This is not just, hey guys, would you pray for me? You hear it, right? He is begging them. He's pleading with them to strive together with me in prayers to God for me. Again, he knows he cannot do missionary work in his own strength. He can't reach these people with his own strategies and and plans and goals. He needs wisdom from God to know how to go about it. I mean, we we know that Paul has learned that, that by himself he's weak, right? He said, I'm weak. But with the grace of God, he is strong. So he needs the grace of God. And he knows that the more there are people who are praying for him, the better it will be and the more effective he can be. So he's enlisting an army of prayer warriors to uphold him in prayer as he launches out on a mission that will take him right into the teeth of the Roman Empire. Please pray for me. I've listed these in your handout because, again, I just want you to just have these and not be trying to scramble to write things down. Notice how Paul describes praying for missionaries. You see it in the text, verse 30, brethren. We see the people who pray. Who is he asking to pray for him? The brethren, the people of God. Fellow Christians, church members. And if you want to, 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 to make that applicable to us today, that's you and me, right? We are the, the brothers and sisters in Christ praying for our missionaries. We are the people who pray. We see the urgency of of our prayer. He says, I beg you. He's desperate for their prayer on his behalf. it's, It's death or life, literally, for himself and for gospel work. The mediator of our prayer, verse 30, through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just religious lingo thrown in to make it sound like something. We come to God through Christ. It's how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. We approach God on the merits of Christ. We we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we pray for the glory of Jesus Christ, right? So in Jesus' name isn't just a prayer formula. It's how we come. He is the mediator of our prayer so we can come boldly with confidence and make these requests. We see the motivator of our prayers, he says in verse 30, and through the love of the Spirit. This is likely referring to the love that the Holy Spirit produces in us. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, right? Galatians 5. So the love of the Spirit is is love that the Spirit produces in us. So why would we pray? What's the motivation for our prayer? Because we love missionaries. And we love lost people. And we love the church and what God is doing in the church. And and we love God and his purpose and and his passion. And the Holy Spirit generates that love in us and, and causes it to spring up and prompts us to desire to pray. Notice the intensity of our prayer. Strive together. This this word strive together is an athletic term. It's the idea of lining up with your teammates. Like the offensive line of a football team. Taking on the opponent together. 
And for these people, it would have kind of had the, the, the roar of the stadium in it, the smell of sweat and the dirt of a playing field. It has, it has the emotional impact of a college basketball team winning the championship and together raising the banner to the ceiling of the gym, saying, we won, we won. That's, that's what's contained in this terminology. Strive together with me, he says. You have a part in my ministry. We are on the same team. We are in a contest for the souls of men and women. Not just there in Rome, guys, he's saying, but, but you can be part of a team that is impacting people hundreds, thousands of miles from where you are, places you'll never go. You're part of a team that reaches those people. You participate in missions by praying. You don't just pray for missionaries or pray about missions. When you pray, you, pray, you participate in missions by praying. You're on the team. Then we see the content of our prayer. Again, this reads like a prayer letter. Verse 31. He prays for safety. He prays for safety that I may be delivered. He's concerned what's going to happen to him when he goes back. Those in Judea who do not believe... He knows there are hostile individuals and religious leaders there among Judaism that have it out for him. If he goes back, he's in danger. He knows that. But do you think he's just concerned about self-preservation? Think he just wants to live a little longer? I don't think that's it. Listen to what he said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Chains and tribulations await me. I know that. Acts 20, 24. But none of these things move me. Neither do I count my life dear to myself, just so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, here it is, to the gospel of the grace of God. That was his concern. He said, I want safety, I want safe passage, wherever God points me, wherever he sends me, so that I can get the gospel, so I can deliver the gospel to those places and those people. That's his concern. So yeah, he asks prayer for safety. And then for successful ministry, um, that, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So, so there he's talking probably about carrying that offering back, and, and he wants them to you know, not be too proud to receive it, or not you know, second-guess why it's coming, or their strings attached, or whatever he's saying. Hey, just, just pray that, that when I, I come back and that that financial help and whatever else I do among them would be received by them. So successful ministry and what he's endeavoring to do. But then in verse 32, he asks them to pray for completion of his journey to them and fellowship with them, that I may come to you and be refreshed together with you. Were his prayers answered? Yes, but not in the way that he might have planned, right? As one writer comments, he was delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, but only by being locked up by the Romans for two years. He was taken into protective custody, which then turned into accusations and all of that. He did get to Rome, but he arrived there in Roman chains. Notice what he says in verse 32, by the what? The will of God. Submitted, surrendered, knowing that these are his requests, whether they happen or not, and the way that they unfold in his life is up to his heavenly father, up to God. That's the way to pray, isn't it? 
So, so that guides our prayers. The prayers of missionaries and our prayer for them is, is always with a surrendered heart, always with, with trust in a sovereign good God to fulfill his purpose according to his plan in the lives of those that we pray for. And yes, sometimes hard things happen and things that we don't understand or those missionaries don't understand. And we know stories. Some people you may know, even in recent years, have been hit very hard on mission fields with tragedy and heartbreak. So it's not always how we would want it to unfold, but always within God's sovereign care and guiding purpose. He is at work. And then verse 33 shows us the mutual blessing of prayer. It's a mutual blessing. He said, hey, pray for me, but verse 33 is a prayer. Yes, it's a benediction, but it's a prayer. Hey, I want God's, the God of peace to be with you. He's praying that the God who gives peace peace with himself, peace with God through Christ, peace in our hearts and peace with each other would assure them of his presence. And we have that through Christ. Isn't it a blessing to know that as you pray for missionaries, many times they're praying for you. That was a blessing. When I was a pastor with missionaries, they would say, hey, you guys are on our prayer list. Oh, (laughs) I thought we were just supposed to be praying for you. Thank you. You're praying for us too. There's a mutual blessing in that, isn't there? What a great name for a missionary. Jonathan Goforth. He lived at the same time as Hudson Taylor, the missionary who dedicated his life to reaching the Chinese with the gospel. Goforth's farewell service before he left for China took place in Toronto on January 19, 1888. One of the speakers at that farewell meeting told a story about a young missionary couple, another couple, leaving for the field of Africa. And the husband said to to their, their church, he said, my wife and I have a strange dread in going. We feel like we're going down into a pit. And we are willing to take the risk and go if you, our home church, will promise to hold the ropes During their first two years on the field, the missionary's wife and their child got sick and died. He buried them in Africa. He became very ill himself. He realized his days were numbered, and he traveled home. And he arrived at his home church at the Wednesday night evening prayer meeting, and he slipped in the back. And at the end, he walked forward, and here's what he said. I'm your missionary. My wife and child are buried in Africa, and I've come home to die. This evening I listened, hoping for some mention of your missionary, and you prayed for everything connected with yourselves and your home church, but you forgot your missionary. And he said, I see why I'm a failure. It's because you have failed to hold the ropes. It's a strong indictment, isn't it? There was a dear elderly lady in the church where we served in Wisconsin. Her name was Frida. And at that time she was in her 90s age-wise. Faith and I used to visit her, and one time when we visited her, she brought out this small spiral-bound notebook, which was dog-eared and worn. And in that notebook, she had scripture verses she was memorizing in her 90s, and prayer lists. And our names and our kids' names were on the prayer list. Other church members were on the prayer list. There were names of our missionaries and missionaries that she knew herself on the list. 
She held the ropes for many missionaries, praying for them every day by name. As she grew older and weaker, her grip on the rope began to slip. We were in New York City with a mission team from our church, and I received a phone call saying that Frida had died. I flew back to Milwaukee to be there for her funeral, and in her funeral message, I held up her little prayer book. And I said, missionaries have depended on Frida to uphold them in prayer. Who is going to take her place? And that was just an appeal to all of us as members of the body of Christ to take up the slack and to pray for for our missionaries. Well, her daughter, she lived in the same same house as her daughter and son-in-law. Her daughter came to me soon after that and said, I have taken up my mom's prayer ministry. So she she took it on herself to continue those prayers. So, so Frida and then her daughter took the responsibility of prayer personally, didn't they? Personally. And I ask you, would you take the ministry of prayer for your missionaries that personally? There are two, I believe, that Northridge supports. Their names are on a prayer bulletin. Maybe you would put that in your Bible or put it somewhere that you see that and pray for them. Missionaries are depending on you. Maybe now some missionary is sick and isn't getting better, discouraged and about to quit, trying to access a pagan, Satan-possessed village, maybe in danger for their lives. And if God's people aren't praying, the gospel witness may falter and fade in that place. And we say, well, surely God will make a way. He has. You and I are it. Prayer is God's way. Do you hear the pathos in Paul's words? Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And can you hear your missionaries saying words like that? I think if we were to ask any missionary, so what do you need? What do you want? What's important to you? We'd hear something like this. I want to preach the gospel to those who've not heard. I need help, material support, and personal encouragement. And I desperately need prayer. If you don't do anything else, please pray for And we can each use something, and what you feel like you can do might not seem like much, whether it's financial or other efforts. But when it's all combined together with the efforts of others, it helps them on their way. It's a privilege, isn't it? To partner with those who preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things to those who need to hear. Let's pray together. Father, we pray for ourselves this morning and pray that our hearts would be convicted, would be transformed, maybe for some of us reminded and renewed in their commitment to participate in missions. 
Thank you that we see the heart of a missionary in this text. I pray that every time we read it and turn to it or hear it, we be reminded of this. And may these guiding truths stay with us. And will you, I pray, use the men and women, boys and girls, sitting here today to take the gospel to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.